0: libertarians. They resist calling adequate reasons prevailing reasons, and they must do this because nothing can be a prevailing reason, because choice must order and determine choice, and there must be no cause. There must be no reason that caused an agent to make the choice that he or she did.
1: You're listening to episode 137 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Dr. Beach wraps up his discussion on the Christian and free will by tackling the subject of libertarian free will, a concept you'll hear most commonly in Arminian circles. Check it out.
0: In this third section, dealing with do Christians have free will, Uh, we're going to conclude by addressing the question of definitions of freedom, including uh, usually what stands as uh, the key opposition to a Calvinist or Reformed point of view, that of libertarian free will. Here, uh, just by way of summary, we might recall that from Augustine's fourfold state, we saw that the question of free will needs to be addressed in those terms, that when you talk about it, you can't talk about it abstractly, but you have to talk about what sort of person and what sort of state they're in, that is, relative to God's rescuing grace and the like. And so, we also learned in the second session that there has been an aversion to the phrase free will because of its abuse and misunderstanding. The Reformed, though, there's a split decision on the propriety of using the phrase free will, uh, there's a growing preponderance to use it properly defined, and it's often been understood as a freedom of known as rational spontaneity. At least that's one such definition. Freedom as rational spontaneity is set against what's usually called nowadays libertarian freedom, So the latter term has become commonplace uh, for what was formerly usually called freedom of indifference, or the indifference of the will, or the power of contrary choice, or contra-causal freedom. All of these falling more in the realm of those who are proponents of an Arminian-style theology or some sort of semi-Pelagian theology. The Reformed opted more for this phrase, rational spontaneity, meaning that our will uh, acts in accord with and in tandem with uh, reasons and motives of our heart and uh, not contrary to those, that an act of will is actually part and parcel of that, and so looking a little further at some of the modern nomenclature that's used in this discussion, uh, there's a modern debate or set of terms called compatibilism and incompatibilism, or simply compatibilism and libertarianism. Compatibilism is affirming that there is a freedom understood as rational spontaneity that comports with some sense of God's order of all things and his divine decree, Uh, whereas incompatibilism is, or more particularly libertarianism, argues that human freedom does not comport with any sort of uh, causal determination of a moral agent. So, given that uh, set of terms, which I've gone over much too quickly, I must admit, uh, the Reformed have found themselves debating libertarians, those who advocate a libertarian notion of free will, in which it's argued by libertarians that nothing causes an agent to will what he or she wills except the agent deciding to do, to will what they will, decide as they decide. If anything would cause them to will what they will, then they would be unfree and thus not a morally responsible agent, as such, a, a morally culpable person. Some of the struggles that go with that is if you make a decision for no reason, or out of pure indifference, then it seems that your decisions have no moral weight. There's no rhyme or reason, not to mention that it seems, if that's the case, then you're making decisions for no good reason. And decisions made for no good reason, (laughs) again, do not appear to have any sort of moral weight. They seem whimsical and thus unimportant. In some of my discussions with advocates of libertarian freedom, they have argued that, well, it's it's not correct to say that they, the advocates of libertarian freedom, don't make decisions for any reason. They simply don't make decisions for some prevailing reason or for, from some strongest motive. But nonetheless, they do make decisions from some adequate reason. Well, this has brought me to a consideration of how we should conceive of that. What what might be making a decision for some adequate reason which is not a prevailing reason. And does that actually work? Maybe we can get at this by offering a few scenarios of questions. So what happens is libertarians want to preserve the power of contrary choice. They want to deny that the agent is making decisions that are caused in any way. Uh, They want to maintain that in any act of choice, for whatever adequate reason, the the agent makes the choice. They have the power of contrary choice. But okay, but the main thing they want to say is It's not some prevailing reason or some preponderating motive that determines the choice. Only their choice determines the choice. But that doesn't mean there isn't some adequate reason without it being a prevailing reason. Well, let's think about this for a moment. It's not clear how you can have an adequate reason for a choice that isn't a prevailing reason. Is the Reformed are going to say, look, we make choices from our own desires and dispositions. And at the moment of making a choice, whether it be buying a pair of shoes or even a very weighty choice like, Lord, forgive me of my sins come into my heart. you know, Be Lord of my life. Whatever set of phrases you want to use. At the moment of choice, there's a set of prevailing reasons, the most dominating motives accordingly. So let's look at the the libertarian notion of freedom. It's not from prevailing reasons or motives, but simply adequate ones. What could that be? If you, well, to use a very old example, let's pick on poor Bill Clinton when he was president and he had sexual relations, to use his phrase, with that woman, Miss Lewinsky, why would this middle-aged man do so? Well, what might be adequate reasons? Middle-aged insecurity, animal lust, uh, would those constitute an adequate reason? Perhaps a sinful, lustful pattern of behavior ingrained in him, perhaps He had made a prior choice to make the most of every sexual opportunity with whomever so long as she was attractive and the chances of getting caught were slim. Uh, These all might be adequate reasons, but how is an adequate reason then not a prevailing reason? Uh, It's not clear how they can be distinguished. And if they're Adequate but not prevailing, then how would you ever actually come to the decision? There was an old medieval discussion here with Buridan's ass, or donkey, in which the poor donkey is torn between desires in two directions. There's a pile of hay and a pile of oats, and having equal desire for each, the donkey's paralyzed with indecision, And so choosing neither the hay nor the oats, the animal starves. In other words, there's an adequate reason for hay, there's an adequate reason for oats, but neither are prevailing reason or motive or inclination. Uh, It doesn't appear that proponents of libertarian freedom who want to account for human decision by adequate reasons have given us an adequate reason (laughs) for uh, making choices. This becomes quite important because most of us realize we make choices for some preponderating set of reasons or motive. As simple as driving. We decide to go to grandma's house and we decide a route to get to grandma's house. And say your wife chooses Broadman Avenue and having made the turn, she discovers road construction, and instead of going straight and going to the next thoroughfare, she has to turn off at uh, Clarkson Avenue and find another route. It's this gridlock. And here's the point. She immediately regrets her decision because of new information, and now a different set of preponderating motives and and reasons account for the change of decision. If she could have, if she had known beforehand, she would have never taken that route, but a different one. This happens to us all the time, which rather illustrates that we do make decisions not for mere adequate reasons, but for prevailing reasons at the moment. This is what was most prevailing to us, what seemed most reasonable and good, not merely adequate but the best, or given all the options, the most natural, because it was prevailing upon us for that kind of choice. And so this plays out in all kinds of different ways in our lives. You can take a minister deciding a call to two different churches. So we have a fictitious Reverend Lundegard, let's say, and he's called... To one church in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's the sunshine and the cactus and a high pay package and a prestigious affluent congregation. And he's also called to a church plant situation in Milwaukee where uh, a newly established church has seen some steady growth. It's bursting with enthusiasm, and now Reverend Lundegard has decisions he's tugged in two directions at once and he ponders many things and tries to sort out all the motivations that are inappropriate or selfish or irrelevant he makes a list of pros and cons evaluates his own strengths and weaknesses and thinks about his the, the needs of his children he sends off letters of acceptance and a letter of decline to the respective churches and then upon learning some new uh, important piece of information about one of the churches, he immediately regrets the decision he made, because now at that new moment, there's a different prevailing reason, not just an adequate one, but it's prevailing. That's why he regrets the decision. That's why he wants, if he could, change the decision. Well, from such scenarios, we see that libertarians... They resist calling adequate reasons prevailing reasons, and they must do this because nothing can be a prevailing reason because choice must order and determine choice, and there must be no cause. There must be no reason that uh, caused an agent to make the choice that he or she did. So Bill Clinton with Miss Lewinsky, Well, he made the decision. There was nothing that prevailed for the decision. There could only be an adequate reason. But as we've seen, this is hardly adequate. At the moment of decision, each of us make choices because they seem what's good and fitting. Even a person who loves evil and loves to do evil and loves evil as evil is still doing evil as a good they love And what this shows us then is that humans make decisions for reasons that aren't merely adequate, but that bring about decision, that uh, produce the decision. At the moment, perhaps you learn something right after the fact, immediately so. You regret this decision, and if you could have a time machine and go back to that moment, you would opt for a different decision given the new information. Well what does all this have to do then with our big topic? Well, it shows us that human beings are designed in a way to make choices according to their nature, to make choices according to their dispositions, to make choices according to who they are. And God has designed and made us in such a way that we're unique and different. As we saw earlier in one of our earlier uh, discussions, we have choices and preferences for what we find desirable, such as styles of shoes or clothes. Or you could look at the the mutual attraction between persons uh, that that one fellow finds, uh, given uh, his beloved, just just beautiful beyond uh, compare, uh, compare. Another another fellow, his friend, says, your wife's okay, whatever. (laughs) He's not particularly attracted to her. And we find this happen all the time. We simply find ourselves with certain preferences and dispositions. We're designed a certain way, and we act and make decisions according to our inclinations, our nature. Now, you play this back to our fallen nature, You play this back to a fallen set of dispositions where we're blind to the things of God and hate God and do not love God or want God. Now we see our bondage of will where we're incapable of helping ourselves. And not only that, we're incapable of simply willing ourselves to want differently. I mean, think about that. If you're not attracted to a given person, you can't simply say, I will be attracted to this person. Really? You have the ability to change your own dispositions by an act of choice? Not really. We find ourselves the way we are, and uh, the Holy Spirit can certainly transform us. Uh, Many things can lead us into further depravity and corrupt our dispositions. Many things can by God's grace can lead us to a slow transformation of our wills and desires and dispositions and preferences, yes, but we can't simply unwill the evil things we will or rightly will the things we have no appetite for or disposition toward. And this is why uh, humans, apart from Christ, without the Holy Spirit, do not have any freedom God. They need utter and complete divine rescue. And having that rescue, however, having the divine intervention, having a changed heart, a renewed will, now they can will out of a new set of dispositions, a renewed nature a will now activated toward the things of God. And in that sense, as we saw earlier, we can talk about Christians having a liberated will, still needing the ever-present grace of God and the care of His Spirit. But we will, for prevailing reasons, reasons that is willing toward God, prevailing reasons that the Holy Spirit places in our hearts, prevailing reasons that make us turn from our sins, prevailing reasons and motives that make us see the things of God and know they are good and desire them, a work of grace in our hearts by which we then turn to God for help, for hope, for healing, and also a longing for kingdom come in all of its fullness, for that state of glory in which we go from now being Christians Able not to sin, but still sinning to a state not able to sin and no longer ever desiring to do so.
1: Dissecting the issue of free will, choices, and the bondage of the will is no easy feat, so we're thankful for Dr. Beach and his insight and input on this important question. Make sure to stay up to date on all of our podcast episodes. You can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts, and wherever you listen to your favorite shows, be sure to search for and subscribe to MidAmerica Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchabor. Till next time.